the time I entered child psychiatry, um, one really had no idea what to do with these kids. Uh, and indeed, uh, didn't know much about what to ask the parents. So one of the things that my colleagues and I did was develop a set of instruments for interviewing parents on the one hand and observing the young people uh, on the other. So that with the uh, observation, what we set about doing was to devise a set of social presses, i.e. situations in which there was an expectation for social interaction and for communication in order to see how the young people responded to that. So it was a sort of experimental or quasi-experimental approach to this, and those have now become sort of gold standard instruments used in autism research. So the interplay between the research and clinical work I've always had, always enjoyed, always learned from, um, and that has tied in with longitudinal study. So one of the real interests is um, following these uh, kids into adult life and indeed I've got somebody who um, the family want to see me about because um, he, I first saw him as a child but in three years time he will be retiring at the age of 60 and they want to consider the implications for I mean, he's actually very independent but he needs support so dealing with those sides of the family I've also enjoyed doing so this is where the sort of psychosocial and the biology the clinical and the research all come together all measurement instruments of course are driven by the concepts of the day how could they be otherwise but you want to develop measures that are also sensitive to the unexpected. And with the autism diagnostic interview, we tried to do that. It was developed in relation to a somewhat narrower view of autism than would now prevail. But our own findings with the autism diagnostic interview and the research that used it made it clear that the boundaries went much wider. And our genetic research, similarly, I was mentioning with the first twin study, one of the things that people resisted was the notion that the genetic liability went beyond the traditional diagnosis of autism. It was either much broader or it was dimensional. And we still don't know quite which is which, but it's certainly a lot broader than the traditional handicapping uh, disorder. So the genetic evidence and the epidemiological evidence uh, clearly pointed to the need for a broader concept. And that's no longer controversial. What is tricky, though, is knowing where the boundary lies. So clearly, autism does not account for all social problems. I mean, we are social animals, and that means that it's likely that almost any mental disorder will impinge on social functioning to some degree or other. So the challenge now, which we're trying to engage with, is how can you tell which ones are associated with autism and which ones aren't? 
We don't have firm answers on that, although we certainly have some leads.